podcast is sponsored by Ulrich and Short. Are you looking to reformulate and simplify your products to meet consumer demands? Ulrich and Short are designers and suppliers of clean and plant-based functional ingredients. Helping food manufacturers to solve process challenges, simplify label declarations and improve nutritional profiles. To speak to a development technologist, visit www.cleanlabelingredients.com. Welcome to the O for Food's Sake podcast, where we unwrap the joys and struggles of working in the food industry so you can thrive in what you do best while sustaining a rewarding and fulfilling career or business. We are your hosts. Lucy Wager, food industry consultant, and Amy Wilkinson, food industry coach. We've worked in the food industry for the last 20 years, and we're here to share with you the benefit of our hindsight. Our podcast is for you to find new ways to cope with the daily struggles, but mostly to inspire you to work on what's not working to ultimately improve your career or business long term. everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Oh For Food's Sake. We are delighted to welcome a guest today. Um, we would like to welcome Ruth Baker from Simply Safer. Hi, Hi Ruth. Morning. So Ruth and I met on LinkedIn. We say that a lot at the moment, don't we, Amy? <laughs> we seem to... I don't know everybody on LinkedIn, we to have, be fair. We have, a, we have a very active social life on, on LinkedIn at the moment. <laughs> So Ruth actually contacted me because I think somebody who listens to the podcast had suggested that she might be a good guest. So that was a while ago now. And here we are. That's what brings us here, isn't it, Ruth? Somebody suggested I should contact you. And I thought, go on then. I will. Yeah. <laughs> and you replied. <laughs> yeah, I, I, t- I do try my best to reply to people. People are sometimes shocked when I reply to them when, when they listen to the podcast. But I don't know why, because we always say... <laughs> You can get hold of us on LinkedIn. Yeah, we, we reach love out. to hear from you, and we, we genuinely do. And this is proof. Yeah. So, so get in touch. Yeah. Peeps. So, Ruth, we or you probably know as you listen to the podcast. When we have guests on, we like them to tell the listeners about their career history, how who you are, what you do, and how you ended up doing what you're doing. Because we just, you know, we love talking about the paths people take with their careers and I think you are quite a different guest to guests that we've had before so over to you tell us where it all started and what you do now so I'm always scared when I say this depending on the room I'm saying it to but I am an environmental health officer (laughs) (laughs) sorry some people instantly hate me no they don't anyway um so I trained as an environmental health officer a long time ago now wasn't sure about it as a job so I trained as a teacher then I had children and I thought I can't have children and be a teacher so I went back to environmental health so I've been doing environmental health at the local council for 10 years part-time then moved to a different council did primary authority which we were going to talk about later yes authority work and then I wasn't sure still about whether I was enjoying it so I left the council and I work for myself. I work with businesses, working on their food safety, working on their with training, food safety, HACCP, BRCs, all those letters that people talk about when they talk <laughs> about food. And um, I now realise that what I do now is what I always wanted to do. And working for the council 
wasn't quite what I expected it to be, maybe. Okay. So what was it that you always wanted to do then? What's the, where's the gap? Make people's lives easier, I suppose. Mm. As an environment health officer, you'd go in, you go, you're doing that wrong. And they go, okay, what do I need to do to make it better? Well, that's up to you. You've got to decide. I can't tell you. And you walk away knowing that you could help them, mm. but you can't help them. Mm. So it was really frustrating. Whereas now I get, they, they phone me because they've had a camp, the counselling and go, they said this, they said this, they said this. What does it mean? And what do I need to do? Quite often they go, I haven't slept all night. Can I, Can you help me? And then I can go, yeah, I can help you. Make it easy. Mm. And they ask me all the questions. They're really too scared to ask the people with the power. Uh, so I, I was just going to say, like, it, what, I, like, I've never really heard that. All makes sense, but I've never really heard it said like that. And why is that? What? What? Why? Why are the council making it harder for businesses? <sighs> I, I'm, and I'm not suggesting they, yeah. they necessarily are doing it on purpose, but it's just yeah. because I know we when we talked about this offline, we talked about the fact that businesses there is that fear of saying something that you're not supposed to say to the environmental health officer. And the fact that, you know, we all like, like, Ooh, they're scary. Like it shouldn't be like that. Should it? it? Shouldn't because, be like that. And it shouldn't take you and your career to have to make that change. It's just an interesting thing. Like, yeah. is there a gap in that field? There's well, there's a gap now. Cause so back when I started, there was just take one of the councils I worked for. There was a team of 13. I think they're down to four or five and half okay. of those are part-time mm. so whereas they would have had more we used to do like um not open days but we'd do things with kids and do the hand yeah, washing more like that, educational that stuff. educational side which mm. they don't have time for anymore mm. or don't make time for anymore um so they're less their primary role should be education advice and support but they don't necessarily get the time for that and i think some people it depends on the person, doesn't it? There are still some really good officers out there that do do go out of their way to help and support. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some with all power jobs because there is an element of power, isn't there, that yeah. enjoy the power and enjoy making people scared, which is yeah. they do exist. Mm-hmm. They do yeah. exist. Yeah. They do enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Toxic people exist in every exactly. walk of life, don't exactly. they? Yeah. Yeah. So you do get those. Good job they do exist because it means I get more work. Um, <laughs> I was just going to say that that's, but that's why you didn't fit into that role because you didn't want to do that. I didn't you want to, you wanted to help and, and educate and all of those things. Yeah, and actually, because we all are very different as well as people, aren't we? If I was to people in catering, because obviously it'd be catering and hospitality, they're not the same as people that want to work for the council are they you're different mm. people so sometimes mm. sometimes even now I feel like a translator what they said was this and what they meant was this so yeah it, it's because but I think sometimes people in the council go well why can't they do that why don't they understand it's like because they're not that type of person they don't mm. like writing things down they work in the kitchen because they're more practical they're not yeah. record keepers they don't mm. get that side of life because that's why they are where they are and you were are where you are yeah it's almost like that it's the creative people creative brain versus the tick box kind of brain and both are necessary yeah um but it's like like you say lost in translation in the middle yeah and you both sides have got to just try and understand what the other one's saying so I have found 
that I'm there in the middle going, no, what they actually mean is this. And it's like, oh, should have said I can do that. Mm. So, and so the businesses that you work with at the moment, so how, so that transition from environmental health into businesses that are looking at different standards like salsa and BRC, how, how does your experience help with transitioning into those businesses and that the decisions to move into the different areas within food? So there's two different types of people. So there's the producers, which I think you're more producers, aren't you? The manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then there's the caterers, so the coffee shops, restaurants, hotels, yeah, hotels have got. So they're the ones that want to be ready for their inspection. They want a food hygiene rating of five. So mm-hmm. it's making their paperwork more bespoke to them so it reflects what they do, making it as easy as possible with, without overcomplicating it because mm-hmm. there's a lot of words in food safety that I think are unnecessary and difficult to spell and nobody needs them. Um, <laughs> we, we ran a uh, quality management systems course last year. Was it last year or the year before? I can't even remember. Yeah, and when last we were, year. It was hard writing that. Like, because what we were trying to do was make it sim- like simplify the yeah. language. Yeah. But it's, yeah, like going through like a big document, like to just get yeah. three words out kind of thing. <laughs> I always say when I'm training for HACCP, because it was invented by NASA, wasn't it? Mm. So so they were really clever people who knew really big words. We don't (laughs) need to use those words. You need them for the test. But I'm going to make it like it is as opposed to the spaceman needing it. So, yes. um, So I work with them, audit them, train them, make make, um, them ready for their inspection. And make them not scared is to get rid of that fear so that when the real inspector comes they're like yeah I've got this I know what you're asking I know why you're asking that I suppose it's yeah. coaching them in that so they're ready mm-hmm. um then the manufacturers it's more about the so I've joined a couple before they got salsa when they were just struggling with their HACCP then they got better then they're like right let's do salsa now one of them's gone on to do BRC start as well so those are more um the food safety management system side of things as opposed to getting them ready for inspections, although obviously they do get inspected as well. Yeah. And when, because I remember when I was, when I set up my little unit for pedology, we were visited by environmental health and then we did salsa in quick succession because we needed, you, you always have to get the environmental health as well. Yeah. yeah. And I, the startup businesses that I work with, who don't necessarily even prepare food on site, a lot of them don't realise that they still need to register with their local authorities because they're like, well, we're not actually producing any food. But that you still do need to register as a business that is handling food. Or selling food, aren't they? Selling food. Yeah. Yeah. I was somewhere the, the other day. And one of their customers rang up and I went, you know, they're probably meant to be registered. And you, you do you know, it was one of those, mm, and they're yeah. not, yeah. are they? Yeah. They just wouldn't have a I don't know why that's like a, like a secret. And it can be really good. <laughs> like, and then when you realize like, oh my God, we're supposed to be registered. It's <laughs> yeah, not even that difficult, is it? <laughs> no, and it's really easy to do. And it's not, it's really not difficult. And there's no difficult questions, but it's, it's for any, um, startups or early stage businesses that is a really useful thing to know 
<laughs> there might be people running, like quickly pausing the podcast, going, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> Technically, twenty-eight days before you open, you're meant to register okay. with the local council. All of them now. If you go to whatever your council is, if you don't need your council, you can do that local authority finder with your postcode, and then they've all got a website, and you search on that council's web food registration form, and then it'll take. You can do it. Most of them do it online now. Twenty-eight yes. days before you open. Yeah, not many and then people. they take. <laughs> I was just going to say, but then it takes ages for them to actually get back to you. Because the other thing I was going to say is what you referred to earlier, where you were in a team of 14 and now there's five. It's really difficult to get hold of environmental health officers or trading standards because the other side is obviously trading standards. And again, for smaller businesses, it can be really helpful if if you're new and you want your packaging to be checked, you can send that to your trading standards but it is so difficult and generally you're really up against it from time from a time perspective mm-hmm. and you just you can't get hold of anyone no um and I asked you when we were chatting Ruth I said you know can you contact other councils so so if you are in a network of um food businesses which generally people are some people can have really good relationships with their trading standards or environmental health and I said, is it, it, you know, can you, even if they're not in your area, can you use a different no. trading standards that you? So I did try to phone a trading standards team once. <laughs> it almost made me cry. It was that difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted some a second opinion anyway. So you should always contact your trading standards. What I was talking about when we, when we were talking was there is something called primary authority. So when I worked at a council, I was primary authority officer for B&Q. It's no secret. It's on my, it's on my LinkedIn page. So I worked for Eastleigh Borough Council, but they had signed a primary authority agreement with B&Q. So B&Q at that point had 360 stores across the country. So if it was for mostly health and safety in that case. So if they had a manual handling risk assessment, and their policy, their procedure, their training, then I would get that. I would go and review it, look at the different situations where it would be used, and then I could sign it off as going, yeah, I give that assured advice, it's called. So you say, yeah, that's that's okay. And then no other local authorities can challenge it. Right, yeah. So it's just, because I don't know if you've experienced inconsistencies, there is inconsistencies between different and how they handle it. Yeah. I did have a conversation with an officer once going, there's no such thing as inconsistencies and the amount of examples I've written up that I can yeah, show them out. Yeah. So it's to avoid that, well, in York they say this, in Bristol they say that, and it's just, I'm going to go to my primary authority. Mm-hmm. Now, with trade trading standards, they also, as a local authority, you can reclaim, you can't make a profit on it, but you can charge the business asking for that advice. So it's sort of a way of funding a post without... Yeah. Yeah. So I know some local authorities, I know Surrey, Milton Keynes are good somewhere like Birmingham are good. There's there's some key local authorities. Yeah, it was Surrey that I'd heard that I'd yeah. heard about. So if you it used to be you had to have one or more businesses across different local authorities, but then they changed the rules and it was you could as as, as a standalone business pick any local authority. So you could be in um, Brighton, but you could sign up with a London authority as a primary authority if you wanted to. So, okay. and then that way, they for, for labels, if it's trading standards, you could ask for, um, Hampshire used to be a big one, but they stopped as well. They would do, mm. 
they would even you could even pay for advice. So obviously, if you pay and you get a better, quicker yeah. return. Mm-hmm. But they they've stopped all paid work now, I think. But um, but others because are still it's... doing it. Yeah, and I think that's really useful to know for people that are just starting out because mm. people contact me quite a lot and say, I don't know what to do. Like, if you're especially if you don't have a budget for it, if you don't know how much it will cost for, for someone like me, say, to check your labeling. Yeah. But the other way, the other reason it's useful is I'm um, where there's products that can be contentious. So, for example, when I was doing coconut yogurts, mm. um, you legally can't couldn't say coconut milk yogurt but lots of people were doing it at that time Mm. and depending on this is where the inconsistencies were because depending on which trading standards and what council you were in some some would say it was fine and so then there's like a real issue because some companies are launching products that your trading standards said that you can't do Mm. and it's that's a real issue um and with you know the increase in plant-based products and you know these discussions increasing that's where those little inconsistencies can become really problematic yeah this is fascinating for me because I've it's it's been a long time since I've been in like at the cold face of of like launching new products and stuff and it it seems a bit bonkers frankly yeah and well I think in big businesses you you don't hear about this so much but in big businesses it's still relevant if you need to call if you want to call something a bit can something that's a bit yeah. a gray area because there's yeah. a lot of gray areas isn't there mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and that's where they, it can be. I, last time i spoke to trading standards about the plant base the cheese with a z and yeah like there was a big discussion going on she never got back to me yeah well i think that i think it's on yeah <laughs> i think, <laughs> these, I think <laughs> these big discussions are ongoing <laughs> i don't know the outcome of that discussion so <laughs> So yeah, yeah. So, but it's, and I guess a, a lot of what you're saying is, you know, it's not just in in environmental health and trading standards that we're seeing that you know resources are a lot tighter and therefore it's a lot harder for things to be turned around and for for small businesses to get information. It's really and that's difficult. been frustrating for you. It's really difficult for small businesses because they don't know where to go. Sometimes, do, do you know, they they. Like I said, they get um, they get told what they can't do, but not what mm. they can do. And at the beginning, they haven't got the budget for me. Like I've got one that they they need they want more sampling. Well, sampling costs hundreds of pounds, doesn't mm. it? Mm-hmm. So it's it's it, this yeah, it's really difficult. But I I I also think though that it's important to acknowledge before you start, if you're thinking of starting a, a food business, because there's lots of people. I mean, I started pedology with um, knowledge of the food industry. And so that that having that knowledge means that you go in a bit more prepared, but there's still, don't get me wrong, huge things that you learn because you can't <laughs> possibly know everything. Um, but I think a lot of people coming into the industry don't realize the amount of knowledge that you do need, but for, particularly from a technical perspective. And it's one of those things where you um, you sort of scratch the surface and realize that there's a lot more that you need to do. And then, it, you know, it's it's not just getting the, the facility ready for production if that's what you're doing, but it can also, you know, the packaging, knowing what to put on your packaging. And 
I suppose when I said, is there a gap in, in the council, then, you know, maybe it's, it, you know, probably not their responsibility to make sure you're doing everything right, which is why the pushback is, well, I was going to say, which is why they always push it back. They go, it's your responsibility yeah. to find yeah. out. Yeah, and I, and I suppose the thing is, it's it's having that knowledge that you do need that resource. You do mm. need to be able to to at least know where to go and and yeah. budget for that. Like when you start a food business, you know you've got to do an element of marketing. Mm. You, you just sort of know that you're going to have to do that, whatever that. Even if you're bootstrapping, you know you've got to do. There's got to be a certain amount of spend to make sure that people know about your products. But I think some, sometimes if the technical side, the food safety side, isn't your forte, mm. you don't necessarily think how – you don't build that into your budget and your no. thinking. And, and people, people struggle – health and safety, food safety, they always think it's a cost. But mm. they don't think of the cost of the consequence of not doing it. Of getting it wrong. Yeah. 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 Because you, if you get it right, you don't lose that money. But if you get it wrong – you lose you've your business lost potentially. You've lost lot. Exactly. Yeah. One, one one link with food poisoning. That's it. You're done, aren't you? More or yeah. less. Yeah. And particularly if you're, you know, like small challenger brands or whatever, and and you get linked to something, you know, some sort of like food safety yeah. breach that yeah. is not, you know, it's brand damaging. Done. Yeah. Yeah. But it, quite often you go, you can see that people are like, well, do we have to do it? Well, and also, I think there's it's that lack of understanding because if you haven't come from a food background and you haven't, you know, like we've all got like food science backgrounds, you don't understand. Like, well, it's okay in my kitchen at home if I use something that's a little bit out of date, or if I, oh my god, I've got to tell you this. Sorry, this is total sideline. My partner like does clearly hasn't even done basic food hygiene. (laughs) I went in there. Yesterday, I'd said to him, I'd got some chicken out of the freezer and I said, oh, have you put it in the fridge because it needs to defrost in the fridge? He'd put it on the top shelf, <laughs> on top of the cheese. Oh, like, oh, oh no. Oh, that's unacceptable. I thought you meant... <laughs> You're I not going to get a five-star rating no, in your kitchen. No, unacceptable. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he put it on this windowsill because quite often, don't tell anyone I will defrost oh, the windowsill. Yeah, only short, briefly, you know. Yeah, I was just gonna say, don't come out. That's okay. Yeah, but yeah, no, I guess my point is, we do lots of, we might take lots of shortcuts at home and not get ill. So therefore, why is it? Why is it a problem when you scale up? And I think it's it's understanding that implications, isn't it, of that that doesn't necessarily get through. Years ago, childbinders had to register as food businesses, so we did Mm. we did um, some training. And I said, it was back when there was a risk of salmonella still in eggs. So you'd go, if you make cakes with the children, I really wouldn't give them the cake mixture to eat. Mm. I went, I'd eat it and I'd want to eat it. I let my children eat it, but that's my choice. And that's the risk that I Mm. take with Mm. my children. But I don't think you should. Anyway, some lady complained about me for saying that the kids couldn't (laughs) eat the uh, cake mixture. Okay. I do understand why she complained, but I'm just trying to explain they're not your kids. If you do give them salmonella because they eat the raw cake mixture, do you, do you want that? Yeah, yeah. On your conscience? It's yeah. a sad thing to say, but 
Oh, yeah. No, I'm laughing because I'm like, my mum would be that person complaining like, oh, the world's gone mad. We can't eat any cake mixture anymore. I'm flipping it. She better not listen to this. She won't listen to this. Um, (laughs) But it is. In fact, I remember my mum contacting the AHO. I think she must have been the AHO. She had some water bottles and like some black bits got in them or whatever. Anyway, I didn't know what all, all of what she'd done. And then I found out like she'd had it un like it was clearly her fault that it had been contaminated, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so there must be for some frustrations when you worked as an EHO of, of things like that where people are a um, bit the complainers, the um mm. Just to be clear, in case my mum is listening, they're the only two incidents that I would ever mention. And <laughs> just perfect Sorry, otherwise. Absolutely perfect. <laughs> she tells me on a daily basis. There, when I was a student, so I was still unequipped with the communication skills. A lady did ring up and it, it well, it must have been Christmas. She rang the camp. She, she was old. She'd be dead now. Um, <laughs> take that one. Um, <laughs> no, we're so not taking that bit out. She, um, she was like, I went to my butcher's and I couldn't get a pork chop. What? what she complained about what, that? She complained yeah. to you. She phoned up the council wow. to <laughs> the butcher refused to sell her a single pork chop because it was Christmas and she actually couldn't just have a pork chop. <laughs> so, again, now I'd go, oh dear, that's terrible. Blah, blah, blah. I'd, I'd be able to manage it. But back then I was. I don't know, 19. I didn't know what to say. <laughs> well, I feel I'm, completely lost for words, yeah, to be honest. What do you want me to do about it? It's all I could think of in my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not really an environmental health uh, problem, is it? No. no. It was a long time ago now, though. <laughs> so, I, Ruth, tell us I how... I was just going to say, tell us how you you can help the the skill set that you have now and the work that you do now tell us about simply safer and what you do and how you think you could help our listeners so one thing i've learned so i've i feel since leaving enforcement so before you'd go in and you go that's not good enough you leave these poor people with all these just going that's not good enough and you'd walk away so with your whole hassop and i'm assuming anyone listening would know what that was um I don't get in touch with Ruth (laughs) yeah um I think you don't really understand HACCP until you've actually had to write one I have learned so much about so many different things because in the defense of the local authority environmental health they have they can't know enough detail about every subject Mm. Yeah. So one man got in touch with me going, every time they come round, I've got to educate them again about how you do this. It's like, that's because we don't, we can't possibly know everything. Whereas mm. now, so I'll go in and I would be that person to go and, I don't want to say rescue because that sounds quite heroic, but um, write their hassock for them. Make That is heroic. People will see writing a hassock. As somebody that hates detail, I'm like, you are an absolute hero. <laughs> Again, I need somebody to read them for the detail bit. You know this. Okay. <laughs> but I know my I know my weaknesses, but yeah. but it's just and sometimes I I also find when you go in and somebody's already got a hassle and it's massive. Yeah. Right. This is this what these are just words. It doesn't yeah. mean anything. So it's taking mm. all the words out 
and putting the meaning back into it so it's simpler and easier yeah. to follow so that it's it just gets rid of the faff and mm. just the problem with HACCP is it it can feel and even if you haven't done one for a while if if you know how to if you HACCP trained and you've you've done it and you you haven't done one for a while and then you you sit down to do a HACCP it's quite overwhelming and the, there's the temptation is to make it more complicated than it is mm. and it's it's really it's important to it you've got to make sure that you're covering all the elements and assessing all the risks and you know putting in control points where you need them to but it doesn't need to be complicated like if it's simple and there is only one ccp that's fine yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's fine you've done your you've done your hassup but like that's that's something that's so that's so common isn't it is it's yeah. the the overcomplication yeah and it, I, I, again, I don't think it gets any easier because even if you've done one before, nothing is identical. No mm, process yeah. is absolutely identical. Yeah, you've done one before, and that council had no problem with it. It's it's handy because then if the next council's got a problem with it, you can go, well, they were happy with it. So what's your problem? So mm, that's good. Mm -hmm. But um, you always got, I, I, you just got to keep going. What is it? I, not often you go, oh, this is easy because there's always what is it we're trying to what is it we're trying to control? So you just mm -hmm. keep asking yourself the question, what is it we're worrying about and why? Mm. Yeah. Remove the rest. Yeah. So it sounds like a, a big part of what you do is, is cut through all the noise and just get back to the basics of, right, what do we need to do to make this safe? Yeah. And let's not forget, yeah. like, we don't need to worry about all the other bits. So whilst I called my lack of attention to detail a weakness, actually it might be a strength because I don't, because it, you don't want to include it. I don't yeah. want yes. to get rid of that. That doesn't mean anything. Some, yeah. some people yeah. might just, some more wordy people just fill it with words and you're like, but mm. this way, yeah. what's it actually say? What's it saying to me? Anything? Yeah. No, get rid of it. And yeah. I also think for non-technical people that then have to get involved in a HACCP, you just switch off like oh because it's too dull and yeah. there's too many words yeah. so actually the way you do it help will help with that getting up people that it's not yeah. like their bag to get you know more engaged with it yeah just get rid of the words I, I don't know whether when I was at school I was good at maths but the minute they said common denominator in fractions I had no idea what they were talking about <laughs> I could then do the maths. I've learned the pattern, but that word common denominator, I was like, what does that mean? I don't understand it. And I think HACCP is like that. You use critical control point and people just throw out all these big words that people then go, I don't know what that means. You yeah. know, so if you just go forget the words, this is what it means. What could go wrong? How could it go wrong? What do you do to stop it going wrong? It's all it means. Yeah. Isn't it? yeah, yeah, it is. That is all it is. And it's just putting it into, you know, a usable format that, you can show someone, explain your process and yeah. show them what, how you're controlling it. Yeah. I think we're making HACCP sound really fun, which I think is a huge <laughs> win. <laughs> actually, the, we, we did an uh, episode on quality management systems and it actually, like people were really interested because because we were doing that, like exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, let's just take all the bullshit out of it yeah. and let's just make yeah. it something that yeah. people can understand. Yeah. yeah. And I think for businesses that are looking to make transitions, you're a really good person to speak to. So, for example, I do, I help businesses that are looking to get BRC for agents and brokers, um, which has just reminded me because the HACCP for an agents and brokers is completely oh. different to a, and, a, a, yeah. a normal HACCP. 
And a lot of businesses don't realize that and do like a really complicated, like, and it, it's really not complicated. It's really simple, yeah. but it's, it feels too simple. And that, yeah. that's the problem. So I think you're a really good person for people that are looking to transition, like to take the next step. So yeah. if you're a business that's listening that doesn't have salsa yet, but is looking to get salsa, then Ruth is a good person to speak to. Yeah, and and equally with um, hospitality, I know you're not hospitality, but it's people that have got one restaurant or cafe, and that's easy enough. It's when they move on to another one and they've got managers in place. Yeah. Get the wrong manager in place, it can go completely wrong, can't it? Because it, it, so mm. it's as they grow also in that sense getting second places it's like then yeah. then safer food better business which is like the hassle that the government give caterers yeah. that's not then really good enough you need it more bespoke to you you need mm. how do you communicate that policy to your staff yeah because they're not going to read it I also know people don't read people don't mm. read mm. so I make it as again going back to I don't like all those words so when I write things I write them as briefly and concise in bullet points so that it's like Oh, yeah, I've read that now. But it, it's about being realistic, isn't it? If people are in a um, catering environment and it is, you know, I've been a waitress. It's, you know, when I've worked in kitchens, it is fast paced. And yeah. you, you know, you're not going to sit there and go, well, I'm just going to look through this document in great detail <laughs> and whatever. And, you know, so it, it is, it is send, about how that's communicated. I'll send you a link to my new front of house training. So I used to do, there's... um one particular small business, they got four restaurants. So I do their level two because I do think, again, online training's got its place, mm -hmm. but I do like to be there to communicate and you read the room, don't you? You can yeah, yeah. 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 So say it differently. Um, but we did do front of house, but front of house is difficult because we did it every three months where somebody could have been working there three months before they get any proper training they would have been mm. trained so I've got an online it's only 45 minutes but it's but it's not about the reading and looking through it's it it's pretty much the same training session they would have got with me in person but on um oh, that's great so they can access it on their phone yeah so, um, that's really good and and you say that we're more food production which we are but actually I have um, worked with a client which is they're selling direct to consumer but they they are also going to be opening cafes mm. um so we well hopefully we do have and we're all the, always open to new listeners as well so actually no, no, we do we definitely do have listeners in, sure that, in that space yeah. as well yeah. because yeah. I get messages from people and I'm just thinking about somebody else that I was I've literally been talking to like in the last day or so so you know there's lots of people out there that it'll be Useful for is that we work we do work with um some QSR type um yeah, companies as well yeah, we restaurants don't we so yeah 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 so Ruth if people want to get in touch with you what is the best way LinkedIn obviously because that's where we met LinkedIn Any... <laughs> I've got my website simply hyphen safer dot co dot uk okay fabulous and then I've got a you know well, contact me or info, info at or ruth at simply hyphen safer dot co <laughs> sorry i shouldn't laugh over you <laughs> i just get in touch with her on linkedin right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on LinkedIn. and you're and you're based in southampton aren't you so for so for local businesses to southampton i guess that's your yeah, name i've got businesses i've got businesses in kingston london 
all the way over to Brighton. Did have some over Bournemouth. I'd love some businesses back in Bristol, to be honest. So I've got an excuse to go back to Bristol occasionally. <laughs> There's lots of and they've got, a great, they've got some lovely food businesses as There's well. It's a really foodie yeah. culture in Bristol, it is. isn't there? It is. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a really big plant based community in Bristol as well. Yeah. Where so, my podology desserts always sold really well in Bristol. <laughs> they are my favorite stores, yeah. They're always our best stores. Bristol, so, so if small food businesses in Bristol get in touch with Ruth, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. She wants to go back there, right? Yeah. Some training, Bristolian style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well, thank you very much, Ruth. It's been really interesting. I think people find it really useful. So really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank You're you. Welcome. It's been thank lovely you. meeting you. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. And we Bye. will see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. And we hope that this has been useful to you. As ever, we would love it if you could rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. It really does help us reach and support more foodies out there. We'd also love it if you'd come and join us in the Facebook group, the Over Food Sake community. And if you want to get in touch with us personally, Lucy is available for consultancy advice and training and can be found on LinkedIn as Lucy Wager. And if you want to reach out to Amy for any one-to-one coaching, group facilitation or training, then contact her on LinkedIn at Amy Wilkinson Coach. Thanks for listening and see you next time. See you next time. This podcast is sponsored by Ulrich and Short. Are you looking to reformulate and simplify your products to meet consumer demands? Ulrich and Short are designers and suppliers of clean and plant-based functional ingredients. Helping food manufacturers to solve process challenges simplify label declarations, and improve nutritional profiles. To speak to a development technologist, visit www.cleanlabelingredients.com.